0: just go to cars.com It's magical. Well, hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 228 of The Sco Show, probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. we got two main things on the docket today. Second half of the show, we're going to talk about the Miami Dolphins. Really with a focus on Tua Tagovailoa and their offense and what they've done over the sort of second half of the season. Because after all, Patriots have not seen them since week one. But in the first half of the show, we're going to focus on some defensive stuff. I sort of talked about this, teased it earlier this week. But I'm going to dive into sort of spot dropping versus match coverage versus pattern match and all sorts of that that stuff. This was really a genesis of something that happened sort of in the Scosho Slack channel. Um, This is a good time to sort of plug the Scosho Slack channel. After all, we've got brilliant men and women in there all the time, breaking down film, breaking down stuff. We've got draft coverage going on. We've got mock drafts. But this was really a question from Matt St. John, um, who's in the Scosho Slack channel, who asked about talking about these coverages, these different things. Um, between uh, pattern matching, zone matching, man match, straight spot drop, in, things like that, and I actually think I know the exact play that that spurred this question because uh, he asked it during the game Sunday. So, so we're going to talk about some nerdy defensive stuff at the outset, with sort of then a tie into what the Patriots do right now and their personnel. But before we do any of that, your usual cavalcade of announcements here at the start. Please follow along with the hijinks. On the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work in a variety of places. Uh, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Matt Waldman's Quick Game RSP podcast. Big Blue View, bleeding the green bleeding the bleeding green nation, excuse me, blogging the boys, and of course Pat's Pulpit. Uh quick sort of teaser promo on stuff that I've either done or is coming. Um, over at USA Today, I've got a look at some of the interesting contractual incentives that are at play this week. For example. Under the terms of his contract with the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers earns a bonus for a, of $100,000 if he plays over 72.5% of the Packers' snaps, a threshold he's already hit, and finishes in the top three in any of these four categories, passer rating, completion percentage, interception percentage, and passing yardage. Now, he leads the NFL in passer rating and interception percentage, so those bonuses are likely to be earned for him. The yardage... Probably a bridge too far. He's at 3,977 yards on the season. And in ninth position, 634 behind Burrow, who sits in fifth place. Uh, So he's probably not going to get there. But he also enters play with a completion percentage of 68.6%, which is just 0.4% behind Kyler Murray, who right now is in third place at 69%. So doing some back-of-the-envelope math, Rodgers, if he goes eight for eight, and stops there this weekend, that would bump his completion percentage to 69.09%. And then he'd have to sort of wait and see what happens with Murray this weekend. And so, you know, that's an interesting one. Two defensive ones I found very intriguing. Chris Jones, he has sort of a escalator type sack number. He has a bonus that pays him 1.25 million if he reaches 10 sacks on a season. He enters the final week sitting at 9. And he's gotten 6 of those since the Melvin Ingram acquisition. So if he gets one more, if he gets to say Drew Locke this weekend, you might want to treat Melvin Ingram to a nice little meal or something. Because the Ingram acquisition allowed them to move Chris Jones to the inside. Marcus Golden, he's got 11 sacks on the year. Under his contract with the Cardinals, he earned a Quarter of a million dollar bonus at six sacks, another quarter million when he gets to eight, a half a million bonus when he gets to ten, and if he hits thirteen, that's another million in bonus money. So we'd have to get two sacks on Sunday. Preston Smith, he restructured his deal back in March, converted over four million in salary to like incentives to help the Packers clear some cap space. He's got nine sacks on the year his restructured deal offered a half a million dollar bonus when he hit six sacks and another three quarters of a million when he hit eight sacks. So he's already earned that. If he gets to 10, that's another three quarters of a million. If he somehow gets to 12, he'll get the quarter of a million. I mean, three quarters of a million, excuse me, for getting to 10, and then 1.2 for getting to 12. If he gets to 14, he gets another 1.2 on top of it. Green Bay basically put this escalator sack incentive clause in to add up to the money he passed up when he restructured the deal. So that's an interesting one. And since this is a Patriot show, Nick Folk. Can earn a quarter of a million if he finishes the year among the top seven in field goals made. Another quarter of the year if he's in the top ten in field goals made. And since he's sitting second with field goals made, he's likely to have earned both of those. And another quarter of the million of a million if he finishes the season with a field goal conversion rate of over ninety percent. He's at ninety-two point one percent right now. So I've got more of those up. You can check those out over at usatoday.com. Now let's do what we said we were going to do here at the outset. Modern NFL college coverage concepts. And at the outset, it's always good to highlight guys like Betts, guys like um, Coach Vass, Kyle Kogan, a lot of Deontay Lee, like a lot of defensive people, defensive co- coaches, defensive coordinators. Uh, I say this all the time. Like, you want to follow defensive particularly high school defensive coaches, because they're at the tip of the spear on some of this stuff. They're learning what's happening at the college level and teaching it to kids, and so it's a great way to learn. Obviously, coaching clinics, uh, Cody Alexander, Cameron Soran, a lot of books out there on this stuff. I don't know anywhere close to what these people know. Um, And a lot of this is just stuff I regurgitate and learn from them and then sort of pass on. So definitely people you want to follow, interact with, Buy their stuff if you can. Coach Vass's Patreon is fantastic, um so some plugs there. But the basic premise is this: traditional zone coverage, at least you know, back in the leather helmet days when I was playing quarterback, it's what we now refer to as spot drop. Right? It's cover three. You get to a spot or a landmark on the field. Three deep, four under. It's cover four or quarters, which is an important distinction to make as the football world has sort of shifted to Sabanese, which we'll talk about in a second. No, that's a four deep coverage, four deep defenders, and so you're you're dropping to an area of the field. You're responsible for a zone. You're responsible for who comes into that zone, and you sort of keep an eyes on the quarterback. That's what we call sometimes zone eyes. Well, as you might expect, teams sort of figured out how to break the coverage rules primary example tom brady versus the pittsburgh steelers when keith butler would have them sort of spot drop into cover three you'd have people like me saying oh just run hoss you know hitch seam hitch route versus the cover three corner seams up the inside you know if to each side of the field to bracket that single high safety get behind the second level of defenders there you go four verts is sort of another thing that broke some of these coverage rules because again you've got those inside seams Bracket and single high defenders. If it's sort of straight spot drop cover, too, you've got the outside hole shot available. And so you start getting into the need for, say, pattern match coverage. Now, two different kinds of pattern match coverage. What pattern match sort of generally refers to is you play it sort of, it's a zone type coverage, but then you relate to receivers and how those routes distribute after the play begins, and so you're matching receivers and or routes. Now, of course, there's two different varieties of pattern match world. There's man match, where you're going to relate to a specific receiver depending on where he goes, and then there's sort of like zone match, where it's more relating to receivers still, but you're playing it with zone eyes. You're playing it with zone principles. For example the way Sabin kind of terms it, zone eyes versus man eyes. And in Sabinese quarters, what people sometimes call cover four with four deep, quarter, 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 that's really cover eight in his terminology, which is why I said people have adopted sort of Sabinese language for a lot of these coverage concepts. For example, what I grew up with, cover three, three deep, you know, that's really cover six in his world. You know, three deep, four under with a weak rotation, you know, Saban calls cover three, a three deep four under with a strong side rotation. So again, it's you're still getting to three deep, but it's different. But Saban's sort of cover eight is a quarters coverage with zone eyes and it's a zone concept. Whereas his quarters coverage cover seven, which is what a lot of people talk about and study and you know try to coach themselves, it's a quarters four deep, but it's a man match concept. You are going to relate to the routes depending on how they distribute. And you're really playing it with man coverage eyes because instead of zone drops and sort of looking at the quarterback and playing it with those zone eyes, you're keeping your eyes on receivers and seeing how they distribute. And it's basically played with man principles once the play sort of unfolds. And of course, there are stuff, there are calls and all sorts of things. But then you might have sort of a meg call, which is man everywhere he goes. That's usually outside corners where it might be, say, this Sabanese cover eight zone quarters look. But if you're a boundary quarter to like the weak side or the strong side, depending on the call, you just got that number one guy, that outside receiver, wherever he goes. Or you might have what they call mod, which is man outside or deep. So if he goes under, runs a shallow, you zone off. And part of the reason for that gets us to a Jalen Hurts play from a week ago. You might remember Hurts missed Dallas Garter wide open in the end zone. A lot of people said, how could you, how could you miss that? And Jeff McLean, one of the Philly beat writers, asked him about it, and he gave an incredible answer and used a lot of Sabanese language. And basically what he was referring to was he was expecting that corner route from Goddard, the inside receiver, to be covered. Why? Outside receiver goes shallow. And a lot of the post-snap adjustments in this sort of pattern match world, you know, if you see, unless you're Meg, man, everywhere he goes on that outside guy, you see one go shallow, you zone off and get depth. Why? Because two is usually coming out. If you see one shallow or or short, you know, flat, hitch, shallow, you expect smash concept. And so you zone off, get your depth, and the safety will sort of play that two over one, and you can get create that bracket, and then you've got the shallow route, the shorter route, the hitch, whatever. Curl flat defender is going to work, you know, curl to flat to cover that. And so you, you've got that route, in a sense, bracketed. Um, So that's what Hertz was expecting. You can't expect a bus bus particularly near the goal line. And so that's sort of the general world which coverage is kind of living right now. There's also a great piece over at uh, zonecoverage.com, which is a Viking site where they walk you through a lot of it. That's just one up today by Luke Braun. Uh, That's a great resource as well. So I'd, I'd check that out. So now let's get to the Patriots because, as I said, there was probably a play that sparked this discussion. And if I'm guessing right, something tells me I am. Second quarter, 9.55 mark against Jacksonville. It's a first and 10. Jacksonville has Trevor Lawrence under center. They've got 11 personnel in the game, sort of basic stuff. And they run play action. And they go basically post over. Yankee, I mean, standard route concept that I can't tell you how many times I see a week. You know, countless, more than count- dozens, even more. And so it's a standard concept. Patriots, they spot drop into cover three. I mean, that's basically what they do on this play. There, there's a little match element here. Or you've got Jimmy Collins off the right side of the defense, left edge of the offense, He kind of relates to the back a little bit, who releases to the flat, but he's going to be the curl flat defender here anyway. But it's just spot drop cover three. And the over route from Marvin Jones is wide open because you don't have anybody sort of relating to it. And so the question becomes, why even play spot drop with this Patriots personnel when you've got a defense that's predicated on... Man principles. Why not play more man match stuff? And I, I think a good thing to consider here is sort of down in distance, right? Down distance situation. It's a first and ten. They're on their own thirty-two. They get the quarterback under center, eleven personnel. You're up eleven. You probably expect it runs. You're in some sort of base call here to begin with. And sometimes they catch you with the wrong defense on the field or the wrong defense called. And I think looking at the Patriots personnel wise looking at their tendencies over the years, their desire to be more of a man team, I think with their personnel, with the defenders that they have, with the guys that they have up front, more man match stuff is probably the world that they want to live with. You know, particularly as you start to think about but you know, potential playoff matchups and things like that. You know, related to route distribution after the snap, but with the flexibility to take a guy like JC Jackson, put a meg on an outside receiver and say, look, you've got him Man, everywhere he goes, we'll match everything else up and we can get things covered up that way. I think that's ideally where they want to be. But there will always be a sort of situation where you might just want to be in base stuff. And yeah, if they decide to, you know, go play action or whatever, you might get caught. But there's still, you know, situations early down in distance calls, first and tens, and things like that, where you might want to sort of be based up. You're probably expected run. That doesn't mean to say that you can't, you know, call these coverages behind, you know, whatever front you're running and still stop the run. You can certainly do that. And a lot of these coverages have, you know, ways to get either, if it's, you know, get the too deep safety look. If you're in that quarters look to get that one of those safeties down into the fit, you can do that. So it's not like, a, oh, you have to spot drop to be able to stop the run. It isn't anything like that at all. And of course, there's always the idea of tying what you're doing up front to what you're doing in the secondary. And if you watched the video I did of the Patriots with Coach Vass a couple weeks ago, he went deep into detail about run fits and things like that. And so, you know, you keep that in mind as well. But ultimately, I think the Patriots want to want to be in that man-match world. I know they've been a lot more zone. And, you know, zone charting is sometimes difficult as somebody that tries to, you know, Decipher coverages and asks all the time, like, "Hey Vass, what is this?" You know, or asks some of the people that do the chart and let SIS or, or PFA, "Hey, this is charted as covered too, is it?" And most of the time they get it right, but it's hard to do that on the fly. And so, you know, sometimes you might see in these charted numbers, "Oh, Patriots are a zone team." Well, it might be more zone match or it might be more pattern match. So there's a lot of moving parts. But big picture here, I think the Patriots sort of generally want to live in the man match world right now, given their personnel, but they can still play it with some zone principles and matching principles to it. I think there's a reason this has been sort of an evolution that, as the zone coverage article points out, you can trace back to Belichick saving their time together in the NFL at Cleveland. Obviously, these are just two coaches, but every team sort of runs it now. Uh, but that's sort of a look at pattern, match, and zone, man, all that stuff. I probably got, like, a lot of stuff wrong there, and I'm sure to get some angry texts from my friends, me, and, like my coaching friends being like, you got this wrong. That is if they listen to this, but they probably don't. If they do, thanks for listening. Um, But that's just an old quarterback's way of looking at it. I I think a great example of this comes to us from the Bengals and Joe Burrow this weekend, where in the first half, at the end of the first half, and I actually wrote about this for USA Today, they had a coverage five-trap called where the outside corner executes a man coverage turn when that one receiver outside goes vertically. And to preface this, the Bengals, like many teams, they run a lot of go-out or go-flat combinations where one, the outside receiver, goes deep on the vertical and two, breaks to the out, either on a, a flat route or a deeper out pattern. And the reason for that is, well, against, say, cover two, if that corner tries to squeeze that vertical and get depth with it, you've got the route to the flat. But if that corner really plays a cloud or hard corner, you've got the whole shot on the vertical before that safety rotates over. Well, defenses, of course, also let me say against cover four, like traditional quarters, quarter, 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 quarter. If you've got got two on a more deeper route, corner has to buy or generally speaking buys that vertical while the inside guy, the safety, has to take that out route. So anyway, that's why teams have this like go-out combination, right? Because if you get cover two with a hard corner, you can hit the whole shot. If you get quarters deep, outside corner has to buy the vertical. And Then you've got out route against a safety who has to buy that. If it's, quote, vertical, and again, teams' rules can differ. Sometimes it's five yards, seven yards, eight yards, whatever. But if two is vertical, safety has to buy that. If it's a, quote, vertical route by their rules – which means you might have an out route with a safety plan that from inside. That's why teams run this combination. Well, defenses, defensive coordinators, defensive coaches, um, they have adjustments. They have tags. They have tweaks and techniques that they can use to trap that. One is more, say, generic palms, which the outside corner plays that with zone eyes, drops underneath into that curl flat air. And if he sees two, the slot receiver break to the out, he'll trap that. And safety has to kind of work – you know, from two to one to get over the top of that vertical route. But you can bait quarterbacks into throwing the out to the slot receiver by sort of getting a little bit of depth with that vertical. Oh, he's, he's going to drop under that and squeeze that vertical. So the quarterback sees that and takes the flat route. Then you trap it. You get either a big shot on the guy or maybe even a pick six. That happened to Trevor Lawrence. Uh, his junior, his sophomore year, his, you know, middle year, his second to last year at Clemson, um, where he threw a pick six on it. And then there's something that's really nasty called five-cougar or five-trap. They're slightly different, same general principle, which is you really get depth with that corner, with that outside vertical route, excuse me, as the corner, and then you trap it late, like really late. Like you really sink with it. And the nastier version is five-trap, where you're up in press alignment. You make a sort of man-coverage turn, that pinwheel concept, where – you turn, you force an outside release, and then you sort of turn your back to the quarterback. So now put yourself in the quarterback's mind, right? You see this outside corner running away from you. You see the back of his numbers, and you're thinking, man, he's definitely buying that route. I can hit the out to the slot receiver. Well, that corner that made that turn, the, the way they call it the pinwheel is you loop to the outside and let him loop back to the inside, because what happens is you execute that man coverage turn, but you keep your eyes over your inside shoulder and you're still reading that slot receiver as you're running with the vertical route. And if you see him break to the out, that's when you peel off. And so, at the end of the first half, Bengals called that concept with CJ Uzama, the tight end running the out. They execute that man coverage pinwheel turn on the outside. Burrow sees that, thinks he has the out, corner peels off, breaks it up, could have had an interception. And so then, at the at halftime, the Bengals sort of made the adjustment that, look, you know, the safeties. They're trapping things, and the safeties are staying inside too much. They're not really getting outside of the vertical. They come to that same combination with, I think it was Boyd on the out route, Chase on the vertical. They're in more palms the next time with the corner playing more zone eyes. But he tries to trap the slot flat route, peels off the vertical, Burrow throws the vertical. Sorensen trying to play 2-1 to is a step late and has a slightly bad angle. It's a tough ask for him, and they hit it for a long touchdown. Um, So – I tell that story because it's part of why you do these match and trap and pattern match things. You try to bait the quarterback into thinking he's got something and then take it away. Like to use that sort of shallow example, right? The Hertz example. If you're the quarterback and you see that shallow come open because the corner buzzes off of it and zones off, you might think you have it run away. But of course, you've got a backside you know, hook defender, or sometimes in some coverage, some poach coverages where the backside safety is free to rob those things, you might be throwing somebody into danger. And so again, it's it's the cat and mouse game between defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, defenses, offenses, free safeties, quarterbacks. However you want to look at it. So so that's twenty minutes on sort of pattern match, zone match stuff. If you enjoyed it, great. If you didn't, you're probably a defensive coach that's going to tell me I got everything wrong. But ahead, we are going to look at. Miami Dolphins, obviously the Patriots here in week 18 have a huge game. You know, they got to figure out the Miami Dolphins, their offense, which is kind of where we're going to focus. And we're going to talk about a, a team that, you know, the Patriots have to beat if they want to get to where they want to go. So that's ahead here in episode 228 of the Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void Hip prohibited. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 228 of the Sco Show. And if you made it this far, thanks for sticking around. Um, as you can tell when we start getting into the weeds and the nerdy X's and all this stuff, I tend stuff, I tend to go long. Uh, but I did want to talk about the Dolphins because obviously the Patriots have a huge opportunity in front of them. With a win and some help, they can still secure the AFC East. They can still theoretically earn the top spot in the the only buy in the AFC. But first things first, you have to beat the Miami Dolphins, who, after a long losing streak at the start of the year, turned it on, pieced it together, got a long win streak, put themselves in the playoff mix, but it kind of fell to pieces last week against the Tennessee Titans. Now, of course, as we know, you have a young quarterback. Patriots have Mac Jones. Dolphins have Tua Tagovailoa. The focus tends to be on the young quarterback. And, and the debate right now amongst Miami Twitter is, of course, did we draft the right guy? Because you see Justin Herbert, then you see Tua. There's angst about that. And whether Tua is indeed the future or not. But more pertinent to our discussion is what they're doing offensively, which... As you might expect, or you've probably read, they've made the whole plan out of the RPO. That's what they do right now. They're a very heavy RPO team. You pull up data on SIS this year in terms of RPO attempts. Mahomes has the most in the league at seventy-four. Roethlisberger at seventy. Tua at sixty-seven. And on those sixty-seven RPO passing attempts, he's completed sixty. I mean, excuse me, seventy-four point six of them. With an 88.1% catchable rate, which interestingly enough only puts him among those with 10 or more such attempts. That 81.1 catchable rate is just 23rd in the NFL. I mean, he's behind guys like Geno Smith and Davis Mills. But again, 67 passive attempts. On RPO designs, third most in the league, 7.7 yards per attempt, which is sixth, 7.3, you know, adjusted net yards per attempt, which drops him to 10th. And he's got a rating on such throws of 95.2, which is 21st in the league. So they're going to see a ton of RPO stuff. Now on the non-RPO stuff, first off, Tua has 299 passing attempts of the non-RPO variety, which ranks him 30th in the league among quarterbacks. On those plays, a 66.2% completion percentage, yards per attempt of 6.8, adjusted yards per attempt of 5.6, and an NFL passer rating of 88.6. You see the drop there. He's better on the RPO stuff, partly because he's more familiar with it. And they've really built the offense out of that. But then when you sort of study him and you see what he's doing both on RPO designs and off RPO designs, you know, there are warning signs. There are issues. There's a reason Dolphins fans are having this discussion right now. You watch him last week against Tennessee and, okay, first pass of the game, RPO-type look, although it's more of a play-action variety. He drills in a backside post route, and it looks great. But then you see moments where he's asked to be a true drop-back passer, and he's just not pulling the trigger. Pertinent to the discussion we were having earlier in the game. They have a third and ten at the 1144 mark of the first quarter. And they get a two-high, it looks to be quarter, quarter quarter-half. And on the left side of the field with the football on the left hash mark, they run sort of this go-flat concept. Although Jiseki, the tight end, kind of sits up because he sees the corner play it hard, cloud-style. To his looking left side, he's got the vertical route. He doesn't pull the trigger. He ends up getting sacked. Two is not where he needs to be if you're a Dolphins fan. He's missing things. He's missing reads. He's missing opportunities. You know, when he moves outside of the pocket, the arm just kind of isn't there. When he tries to make throws deep downfield, he's missing things. Ball placement is spotty. Suffice it to say, this is an offense that isn't exactly click, click it. And if you go back and watch, you know, week one, I think the story back when these two teams met at the start of the year was more inability to finish the deal from the Patriots offensively. They had some missed opportunities where they didn't put it in the end zone where if they had, they would have won. It wasn't like to have really carved them up. So I think looking at that, you're like, okay, this is a game. They should win. Of course, in the back of every Patriots fan's mind is this: Miami, House of Horrors. Late in the season, we, we've seen some some bad things happen when the Patriots go self at the end of the year. This is a different Patriots team. This is a different Patriots defense. This is a different Miami team that they're facing, than some of the ones they face in the past. I, I I don't. I'm not that concerned about this game. Of course, famous last words and all. But I do think we will be having a glorious victory installment of the Scotia next Monday, whether that's a, Hey, we're AFC East champions. We're fans of an AFC East champion team, or we're fans of a team that secured the one seed, or all right, we're going to see our team go to Cincinnati. That remains to be seen. But I think first and foremost, the Patriots will take care of business against Tua. Now with respect to the, the Dolphins defense, you know, yes, they can still do some things. On the defensive side of the ball, they still have some talent. They still have that zero blitz stuff, which you're going to see. But I think, you know, screen game is going to be critical this week. When you get some of those zero blitz looks, how do you beat it? You beat screens. You know, Tennessee had a great play where they get sort of a throwback screen to the back. Hilliard, you know, they get a, they catch him in zero blitz. Tannehill sprints out to the right. They slide the protection. You still get two free rushers, but then you have a th- sort of throwback screen element. They got a touchdown to Fersker, the tight end, against sort of a, a zero-blitz look. Again, play action, pocket movement, gear's wide open for a touchdown. You know, by, by the chart and data that I put together, last week, four passing plays where the Dolphins were in zero-blitz, Hiller hit on all four, a gain of two, gain of five, And then the the big throwback screen for 28 and the touchdown to first. So you got to be ready for those zero-blitz looks. There are certainly different things that they can do. They can pop off. They can, you know, they can brain everybody. Jones is going to have to be smart and quick with his decisions. They're going to have to sort protections out. But provided they do that, this is a very winnable game, and then we'll all keep our eyes on the out-of-town scoreboard. So that's your show for today. I will be back Monday. Until then, friends. Stay safe, check in on your neighbors, check in on your loved ones, wash those hands, and when you do, sin along, and bless those patriots' reigns, down and far.